Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, president of Leader in Motion. On this show, we're going to gossip about the best boss you ever had. We're going to hear stories about things that they did that helped you feel valued, helped you feel engaged, and really inspired you. We want to hear about the bosses that changed the way you look at everything. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. So on today's show, I have Greg Hewitt coming on, and I am so excited to have Greg here because Greg and I worked together years ago, and I often reference Greg as being one of the best bosses ever that I've seen in action. So I personally, even though you weren't technically my boss, you were my top client, I got a chance to work for you and see what your inspired style of leadership did. I got to see the kind of culture you created. And I love to see how people love to follow you. And that was something that I really admired. So in honor of you being, you know, on my list of best bosses ever, I really wanted to invite you on the show and get a chance to ask you about your best bosses ever. So thank you, Greg. Thanks, Christine. That's a really warm welcome. And hopefully I can live up to it in uh, in the stories that I'll tell about the leaders that inspired me and helped me become the leader I am today and that I was when we worked together a few years back. And you're currently CEO for DHL Express US. I should just mention that as well. Yeah. So your, your career has advanced quite a bit in the years since we've worked together. I guess so. But I'm one of those people that they talk about. There aren't many of us who are, I guess, are lifers. Uh, I joined uh, the organization over 27 years ago, almost right out of university in 1990. Three And I'd been with, I was with a domestic company, Loomis, when I was recruited um, and we were acquired by DHL and, and around 2000. And I've been with the organization ever, ever since in a number of capacities in Canada first for my formative years and then the US and Europe. And yeah, I made the move down here after we'd worked together when I was the CEO in Canada for a number of years, I, I moved down here to the United States first into New York in a in a general management role. And then I've been in my role since the beginning of 2016. So I'm going to dive in because the question that we all want to know is, who are your best bosses ever? I, I'd say best boss ever, but I know that for you, there's more than one. Yeah, I shared as we were coming on that I don't, I don't have just one. I have two leaders in mind who inspired me and helped me grow in different ways. And, and they're not dissimilar, but I think what I really think about with them uh, is a little bit different. And those two gentlemen I'll talk about today are both DHLers, both long-term DHLers. One is Ken Allen, who's now the CEO for our the DHL e-commerce solutions business in the, the DP group. But I worked for him first when I was the head of sales, marketing, and customer service in Canada. And the second that I'll talk about as well is Mike Barra, who's my CEO for DHL in the Americas. And I've been working for him since I made the move from Canada back in 2014. And I think we all have a, a strong alignment in terms of values and beliefs that center us and allow us to work well together and see commonality in our, our approach. Can I always relate back to really helping me evolve we, we talk a lot at DHL, and I think it's pretty common practice around leadership attributes to think about head, heart, and guts, 
right? Those are, you hear those, those terms and we've got attributes we assign to them can really help me a lot with my head attributes and, and probably a bit on the guts. Mike has really inspired me and helped me build out my heart leadership attributes and the guts ones as well. So that's why I thought it'd be if, if you'll, you'll allow me to share stories of both and how that's helped for me and to improve all three of those areas. You've got my attention. So tell me how, yes, how do you, first of all, let's start with Ken. I had the luxury of working with him too and have incredible admiration for him. So do tell me a little bit more about how he helped you with building up that kind of head capacity of leadership. Ken's a funny guy because he would always say, uh, there's only one strategist in the company and it was him. You didn't need to be a strategist in your function, your area, your country. He led the strategy. He allowed us to, to help with that and build it out. But that's he taught me a lot about really thinking through strategy and, and what is it that as a business you do really well and that you can excel at and that you should focus on to kind of, as the, as the expression goes, to turn something that's good into something that's great. And so he was a big believer in the, the profit service value chain and was and came up with our focus strategy, which was that motivated people will deliver great service quality that'll build loyalty in your customers and lead to a profitable network. And that, that value chain, he really tried to simplify it and helped me and have helped our organization as a whole. He's written a book called Radical Simplicity. It's it really was about if you if you motivate, get and keep your people and you get make them happy and you invest in them and you empower them, they really are going to have a focus on delivering exceptional service quality. And in our business, which is a service business, if our people give exceptional service quality and really put the customer at their heart and care about it, chances are your customers will feel that. They'll know that you care about them and you won't give them a, a chance to leave. I, I'll jump around a bit, but I'll never forget when he asked me, I was trying to explain, he, he was new in the CEO role and we had a real issue. I, I call it a leaky bucket challenge, right? Where I was talking about what a great job we were doing in sales. Look at all this acquisition, all these new customers, we were bringing on, but the revenue wasn't really growing that fast. And he looked at me and he said, what if we just kept the ones we had? He said, it seems to me like you're losing more business than you can possibly bring on. But what if we refocused our energy? And I said, Ken, you just don't understand. We make mistakes in this business. We're not perfect. You're never going to keep them all. It's really competitive. And then he challenged me, he said, who do you bank with? And at the time I was like, I bank with the Royal Bank of Canada, RBC. He said, how long have you been with the bank? And I sat back and I said, well, I, I think since my dad, when I had a paper route, took me over as a kid and I opened a savings account. And he goes, exactly. Why have you never left the bank? And I go, I don't know. He goes, has your life changed over the years? And of course, I'd grown up, gone to university, had to have a bank account for that to pay for things. I'd work, started working, bought homes. Because every time you had an issue, he said, they were there to help you and they cared about you and they gave you no reason to leave. So he totally like shook my foundation on well, how we should view a customer and look at service. And he said, I just want you to focus all your energy 
on our existing customers by understanding what we're doing wrong and why they're leaving and how we can fix it. And the slant to that was back to, I bet you it's that we've got people that aren't caring or don't understand what they need to do, but let's just fix it. And it was, to me, a radical strategy. What if I said you cannot open another new account? You cannot bring on a new customer till you fix why we're losing customers. So when we said that, and I told the sales force this, and we we talked about it in our regional meetings with the team from the U.S. and the team from Mexico, people thought we were crazy. But sure enough, six months into that strategy where I could not open a new account, amazingly, our growth rates were higher than when we were acquiring all that new business. And of course, he saw it further down the road. Once you fix the problem and you were really focused on measuring what the problems were, the issues, and and getting the service right, then you can reopen bringing on new customers and your growth rate accelerates even faster. And that's that's just one example of him as a strategist challenging the status quo, being brave enough to make decisions that most people would not take mm. and to think about a problem in a different way, to not just do what you've always done. And so sometimes that will come from your his brain or your, your own brain. But the other side to it is you have to be open to new ideas, different ideas, different approaches, and that another thing Ken was very good at was making sure he was willing to listen to anyone and everyone and to to hear where the problems are, what the issues are, and then would put the resources on to tackle it. As a strategist, really embraced talking to the business at all levels. We We talk about spending 70% of your time on the floor and in the field. Ken was never afraid to walk the dock, talk to the couriers, talk to the the front clerks who work our front counters, talk to the salespeople. He didn't confine himself to an ivory tower. He didn't just value the opinions of his executive team or his peer group. He really valued listening to everyone. He told me one of the things that he liked about me was the first day he came in on the job and he was going around, he came to my office and we sat down for 30 minutes and he asked me for a state of the business from a field sales and national account and marketing standpoint. And I gave him my lay of the land. Here's what's working. Here's what's, there wasn't a lot working, but here's, here's what's not working, what we need to do. Took that and he said, okay, now I want to just, I want to get a feel for the team. And okay, so where am I going? And I said, well, I'm going to hand you off to Andrew Williams. He's my director of field sales and he'll get started. But in this office, you've got field sales, telesales, national accounts, marketing, just about everybody in here. And I I think I'm just going to have them hand you off. And I want you to spend the morning getting to know the business. And he stopped me and he said, you mean you're not coming with me? Well, if you want me to hold your hand, I'll, I'll gladly walk around with you. And he said, no, 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 I don't want that. But why, why do you feel you don't need to come with me? And I said, I know this team. I trust this team. I know that anything they tell you will be relevant for you. And there may be things that I don't know, like that I'm not seeing, that you might see. But in general, there's nothing they can tell you that I don't know or that I'm embarrassed by, ashamed by, 
or worried about. So I'd rather you hear it direct from them and not have anybody feel like they've got to hold back because I'm standing over your shoulder. He's okay. And he went off and he came back and he shared with me that he'd been doing this in every function in every area. And he was pleased that I was as connected and open with the front line as he expected his leaders to be. And that I was confident enough that he could go and ask anyone anything. And I wasn't afraid, ashamed, embarrassed, or felt the need to control and direct. And he said that said a lot because other people were kind of controlling who he could see. And they, they didn't get that eventually he's going to find it all out anyways. But that was a bit of what he taught me, the value of getting in front of everyone and being open to the answers. And you know this, you're a company you work for helped me see it as well, that all the answers you need are here in your business. It's not somewhere else. It's not outside. If you're open and you listen, you'll get enough data points and enough information to kind of center in on where the right answers are to, to solve problems. So for me, a big part of what he taught me was the importance of being out in the business, connecting to my team at all levels. He reinforced something that I think was in me and, and was very natural, but that was important to me. That's uh, that's another one of the things that he, that he taught me. Uh, he really helped me see that you have to assess, you have to understand how big the problem is, and you can't be afraid to take dramatic action to really make a difference and get to a a point where you're level and you can grow from that. And that that meant doing things like radically changing org structure and cutting a number of layers of management out that, that as well, when I talk about learning, I love that he felt confident enough in me that as a new CEO in Canada with a finance background, he said, I'm not going to replace the CFO. We don't need a CFO. I know how to be a CFO. But he said, what I do need is it's probably too much for me to have all of the responsibilities. So there are a couple of finance functions, namely billing and credit and collections, that would go to the CFO. Well, I want you to take it. So I want you to be my senior vice president customer. And so that means any customer touch point, all of sales, all of marketing, all of customer service, all what we now call order to cash, billing, credit and collections, I want you to own it all. And you own the whole customer life cycle. Gave me a, a, a different perspective. It gave me new experiences. It built out my, my breadth and experience. And that's a hallmark for him. He'd make difficult decisions. He would be willing to do more with less. But he was also always willing to take a chance. And he did, you didn't have to have all the experience in the world to justify getting be, being put in a role or trying something else. He gave me opportunities to do things that others had not and to prove myself. And I think that he taught me the importance of that, sometimes by beating it over my head by saying, why are you thinking about this when you should give this young person a chance or this, this person who works for us but might be two levels down, let them climb up. Why are you going outside and bringing someone in, give them a chance, Greg. He was very good at that, at seeing the best in us and in doing so. I think that is an amazing story. And then 
It's funny. I'll just mention this, that when I think of my experience of Ken Allen, I remember I was only 28 years old, I think at the point that I was leading up that, those restructuring projects. And I do remember going into a meeting with him and he was so interested in my point of view. And I was so intimidated because I wasn't used to anybody (laughs) with that much authority being genuinely interested, but not because he was trying to hang me out to dry. He was genuinely interested because he believed I had value to add. And that actually was almost disorienting for me at the point in which I had that meeting with him because I thought, I'm just not used to people being genuinely that interested in my point of view. I'm early in my career, you know? So now I'm so curious. Can you tell us if Ken was that earlier in your career, what is Mike like now today? To me, Mike, he just brings a level of heart, a a genuine passion and love for people, the empathy and understanding, the, the emotional quotient, the high EQ of just connecting with people and genuinely wanting everyone to succeed and to do well. And again, very similar where, where Ken would walk around and meet everyone for their point of view and their opinion. Mike's ability to connect on a personal level and at all levels. And I've watched him do this from Santiago, Chile through Vancouver, Canada. At every stop in between, he develops that relationship. And it's so genuine from I'll watch him with the cleaning crew at our at our Miami-based station, which is close to his home that sometimes he works out, is the same level of respect and discussion as he would have with myself or a colleague in the boardroom. He just genuinely loves people, cares about people, really believes that the work that we're doing, and we talk about with our heart, having a purpose at DHL, we we say it, it, it connecting people and improving lives. And what I challenge my team, and Mike does a bit the same, is you have to find more than just your job or the career. It's what is our purpose? And for we, we've used phrases like every package has a story and challenging everyone from a courier to a CS agent to an executive to say, what is that story? What is that interaction you've had with a customer or an employee or something that connects at a, at a higher level? He just does that each and every day. And he makes me feel special. He makes me feel valued. I know that when I sit down and talk about my career or whether it's personal or professional, a tremendous level of trust, because I know that in his heart, he wants me to be happy. He wants me to excel. He's not afraid. And and I, this is where I, this isn't someone who isn't prepared to be tough on you, challenge you, demand great results. It's just someone that in his core, I know that everything that he's doing comes with positive intent for everyone and that he does not have in him any bone of disingenuine politics. There's no angle that he's playing. Everything he's trying to do is, I I liken it, I, I talk about there are people in this world who walk around trying to kick the podium out from under people who are doing well, 
drag them down to their level. And there are people that spend their entire life trying to drag people up on the podium with them. I've tried very hard. I think Mike is one of the greatest ambassadors to trying to get everybody up on the stage with him, to share in that success, to share in the happiness that he has. And for me, I've tried to role model myself with those same values that I always assume positive intent. I always try my best to stop. And he's helped me a lot with my listening skills and to to not just respond to respond, but to really try to listen and walk a mile in the other person's shoes and think about and understand what it is that they need and want and has really helped me embrace helping develop my team and the and at least the level below by focusing on employee development reviews, consistent individual performance plans that have really strong development goals that either will help a skill set, a capability, or a leadership attribute that genuinely will help improve me as a person and help my career. He really helped me bring focus to that and commit time and energy to it. And I feel that that's part of what's making my team better and stronger. He, He helped me understand that what had gotten me to being the GM in New York and wasn't what was going to make me successful in this next role, that I was now going to be leading people who had as strong a resume, as as smart as me, as talented as me, as much. And he said, you're going to have to learn what motivates them, what excites them and get them to buy in and trust that you care as much as they do about their success. And if you're able to do that, you'll unlock tremendous potential. And I think he has a tremendous self-awareness that I, I recognize in myself and try to have this ability to, to be ruthlessly honest with yourself, to understand what your strengths are, to understand what your opportunities are. And in today's day and age is where the difficult situations around diversity, equality, and inclusiveness recognizing some of our unconscious bias and recognizing that even when we're really good people at heart, we have biases and we might not always be right. We might have blinders on. We might not see things. He's helped me and embraces this idea of we need to make sure we get as many viewpoints around us to help us make decisions. Because even though we make a lot of good ones, there may be things that we miss. And so he he's really helped me by showing a willingness to surround himself with good people and diverse with a diverse background to make sure that we're making the best decisions. And so that's where I think if Ken was more for me about focusing on clear priorities, measuring and driving and delivering great results, understanding how to leverage strengths and strengths of people to to move the business forward. Mike has really helped me with finding and and speaking to my purpose and the purpose of the business, building trust, not only within my team, but with customers, and then trying to work through this idea of remaining positive and strong and stable and calm in a changing world, which is the sign of a good leader or is a hallmark of a good leader is being able to stay positive, to be able to be that calm voice 
as much as you can. You can't change. I don't think you can completely change your personality. I'm emotional. I'm fiery. That's part of my passion. But to find a way to do use that in a really positive way, he's really helped those. And so when I look at all those attributes together, those are some of the things that they've they both helped shape and round me. And I look to what would Ken do or what would Mike do in different scenarios to say that's my compass and a guiding a guiding light on 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 decisions I would make and way I've structured it. That sounds like an incredibly well-rounded education you got from the two leaders that you got an opportunity to see in action and be up close to. So then I just have to ask you maybe the the really quick thoughts on you know, we talked about this. Sometimes you learn the most from the leaders that don't classify as the best boss ever. <laughs> Any big lessons that you want to share there? Yeah, I, I have uh, I have an individual. And I, and I think the best way is I, I've modeled myself on not saying bad about anyone. So I, sure. I'll keep them as an, the anonymous source. When we went through a reorg at the organization, I had a leader that I think the job was too much for him. That's I, I always chalk it up to. I tr- I've tried and gone back to to understand the why, and I think the scope of what he was being asked to do it was just too much. And part of that goes back to when I look at him is he was very good with the sizzle. There wasn't a lot of stake. I think he'd spent so much of his career positioning himself, looking right saying the right things, managing up, that he forgot that at one point it would come to roost. Because if you don't really understand the business and get into the details and genuinely care about everyone, that the, the big size of the business, you can't skate forever. And I think this individual did a great job Um, And in some ways, he was brilliant in front of a customer, in front of an audience scripted. He he was a great orator, a good communicator, and he looked the part, but there wasn't the depth. And that meant at times, he wasn't able to make the difficult decisions. He didn't trust himself. And so the biggest mistake that I think he made was that he didn't make any decisions. He didn't, when two companies came together, He didn't choose a path of A or B. He just kept blending it together. I remember being almost a year into the restructure and his answer was to go to an, I call it the famous offsite of, and this is the February Ken talks about. Instead of when we we should have been looking and saying, why did we lose $11 million? We flew off to, to New Orleans to have a retreat and discuss it with a facilitator from KPMG and I remember it was not going well. It was all going sideways. And he got very angry with me when I was sharing some, here are some things you got to stop doing. And I remember I just kind of ended it and said, listen, this is irresponsible what we're doing. The number one thing you could do, the only way you can justify what we're all doing down here is if you come back with half of us. So what I would do before this meeting is over in the next two days is I'd fire half of us. Then when you go back, you'll have credibility because at least you will have come and made a decision. Now, the way you're yelling at me, I'm going to go write my name on the board because I'm pretty sure I'm not the guy you're going to pick for, for this one. So I'm going to put Anthony's name up, up here and my name I'm will go there. I'm on the fired list. So now you go. And I said, and, and he got all mad at me. What are you talking about? This is, and he's yelling at me. And I pulled out the book 
And I asked him, have you even read this? And I probably used a couple of expletives at that point. <laughs> and I said, have you even read this effing book? And he's looking at me, of course I have. And I said, well, let me go. Chapter one. No, nope, we didn't do that. Chapter two. <laughs> didn't do that. Chapter, And I threw it on the table. I said, you didn't even follow the one book you handed us as your charter. Your, what we're going to do. You never followed one of them. So I'm going back to chapter one, make a decision, fire half of us. Now, looking back, I'm pretty lucky because he didn't fire me. He didn't take my advice. It was a gutsy move. About a month later, and I tie this back to what I've learned, I was lucky enough to meet Ken Allen, who was brought in to be, be his successor and run Canada. And for me, I'd learned a lot in what not to do. And Ken would often tell me a great leader, the biggest thing, and this is this focusing on clear priorities and being results driven. A great leader doesn't tell you what you should do or you could do. A great leader helps people understand what not to do. Because if you understand what not to do and you stay focused on the other things, the odds are you'll be successful. As he would say to me, Craig, you can sit here and tell me, you guys started a lot of great ideas. You just never finished any of them. So why don't we start by doing less, but let's finish them. And then maybe we can look at the next thing. So to me, that's the guy I learned from was you really, I really felt you need to understand your business to get into the details. And I get feedback quite often now as a CEO that when I meet with my functional teams for their quarterly updates, or I do a, a voice sub session, they come back to me and say, they're always amazed at how much of the detail I know. And I'm like, well, I really do listen. I work closely with your, I give credit because my leaders are amazing in all my functions and areas, but I do really pride myself on trying to understand that detail because I think it's important to make informed uh, decisions. And I learned that from Ken. There's always a debate about investing in leaders to help them become the best bosses ever. What is the impact to the bottom line of that, right? You, you would know that. There's that moment where it's like, is it worth spending X? Because these results sometimes are subjective, right? It's their culture, their, mm-hmm. you know, how you feel when you go to work. Any quick thoughts if somebody was contemplating investing in their people in their organization, what would you tell them? It's a must. This is a great wrap to go back to the first CEO that I spoke to, which is Ken Allen. Other than the big decision to get out of the domestic business, which was brave and cut losses, the second biggest decision he made was to create something called the Certified Program. He called it it, the Certified International Specialist Program. And it was a learning and development curriculum that everyone from a courier and frontline accounts receivable clerk, CS, all the way up to him as the CEO, everybody took those courses, those welcome to my country, welcome to my function, welcome to my company, so that we could develop a common language across 220 countries and territories around the world. We've continued to invest in that program. It just celebrated its 10th anniversary. And I would say when people ask me about what was the single biggest chain agent of change or a piece of change that went on for DHL, 
the introduction of that certified program, which later developed the Certified International uh, Supervisory Academy for supervisors who manage most of your front line, the Certified International Manager Program, that created that our culture. That taught us the behaviors. That taught us about our leadership attributes. And that is what guides us. And it meant that in a business that was doing well and growing, it also in a lot of the early years, particularly when we developed the Certified International Manager Program, that we facilitate, we work with an external company, NKD, to build the content, but it was facilitated by DHLers or DHLers. There were a lot of leaders who were considered really strong people because of the results they produced. But when they didn't have the balance between results and respect that we saw as 21st century leadership attributes, that program helped us make decisions that people who may have been putting up good numbers still needed to go. And it allowed us to build and foster a culture that struck balance and allowed us to continue to grow. And I don't think any of us, the millions that we've invested in it, nobody and continue to invest year in and year out, nobody has challenged or questioned how much that's brought to the bottom line. In fact, one of the big fears we've had this year with the pandemic is because so much of it is done face-to-face, we haven't been able to do it with the same, I guess, veracity that we had before. We're about to launch some of the modules and refreshers in a virtual environment and adapt them, but we know how important it is to get everyone healthy so we can get back to investing in it, graduating more supervisors from our academy. They talk about nothing could be more important than when your son or daughter graduates from college. If you knew their first job, they were going to go work for a supervisor who'd been given the skills to really coach them, to mentor them, to give them good direction, and who understood the balance between respect-based behaviors and results-based behaviors and could help set them on a a great path for their career. So anyone who's considering it, you can't spend enough. You have to find the right fit for your organization. And not everyone can build it from, from the ground up. Not everyone has that luxury. So find a an outlet, find a a course, find an individual that you believe in that you think can motivate you and your team. But to only sharpen your skills, your tactical, what I think of as more tactical skills, language skills, mathematical skills, selling skills, and ignore leadership attributes is a mistake. I always say our people, when we're talking about them and seeing who are the next me's, the next people to sit in my chair, We're looking at both objectively their skills, their experience, their results, but equally their behaviors that are linked to their leadership attributes and saying, do they have strengths in all those head, heart, and guts attributes that we can work with and that we believe are the future leaders? And if they aren't, how do we get them the help, either within our own programs or through external coaches and and systems that might help? them develop and grow. Thank you, Greg. That was a fantastic discussion. And I really, really appreciate it. I'm sure people are going to enjoy listening and putting some of these things into practice. So again, thank you so much. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip.